عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لو يعلم المؤمن ما عند الله من العقوبة ما طمع بجنته أحد ولو يعلم الكافر ما عند الله من الرحمة ما قلط من جنته أحد حضرت أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه نريتس that the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, if a believer were to know the punishment in hell, none would have the audacity to aspire for paradise, but he would earnestly desire to be rescued from hell. And if a non-believer were to know what is there with Allah as a mercy, none would have been disappointed in regard to paradise. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi When a hot-tempered person is provoked and punishes a child, he takes on the role of an enemy in the stress of his anger and imposes punishment far in excess of the wrong which has been done. An individual with self-respect and control over himself, who is also forbearing and dignified, has the right to correct a child to a certain extent as the occasion demands or seek to guide the child. But a wrathful, and hot-headed person who is easily provoked is not fit to be a guardian of children. I wish that instead of punishing children, parents would have recourse to prayer and should make it a habit to supplicate earnestly for their children for the supplications of parents on behalf of their children meet with special acceptance. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam states, It is proper for you to have sympathy for others and to purify yourselves so that thereby you may share, to a degree, the qualities of the Holy Spirit. Remember that without the Holy Spirit, true righteousness cannot be attained. Discard altogether the base animal desires in you and follow the path to the pleasure of Allah, be it the narrowest and most difficult of all. Do not be enamored of worldly pleasures, because they lead you away from God. That suffering which pleases God is better than that pleasure which displeases Him. That defeat which pleases God is better than the victory which earns His displeasure. Abandon that love which draws you nigh to the wrath of Allah. If you come to Him with a pure heart, He will help you in every way, and no enemy will be able to harm you. With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet wasallam, let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding. Yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said that, No white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. 
He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was a true man of peace. of Islam radio persecuted for your beliefs jailed for your faith and exiled from your homeland but you refuse to turn to bitterness or vengeance instead his holiness has emerged as a leader of wisdom and compassion a champion of nonviolence among nations no society can truly succeed unless it guarantees the rights of all of its peoples including religious minorities whether they're Ahmadiyya, Muslims in Pakistan, or Baha'i in Iran, or Coptic Christians in Egypt. I would like very much to confirm my support for the work that His Holiness and the Ahmadi Muslim community are doing, particularly in London. Even I didn't know when I was elected, then my name even will be proposed. The election is the same as the Pope is elected, but without smoke. I know you are a regular uh, visitor and speaker to parliaments and assemblies around the world, whether it's the US Congress or the, or the European Parliament. Let it be clear that I am not speaking in support or favor of any particular individual country. What I wish to say is that all forms of cruelty, wherever they exist, must be eradicated and stopped, regardless of whether they are perpetrated by the people of Palestine, the people of Israel, or the people of any other country. In this we are allied with His Holiness, a courageous champion of religious freedom and of peace. I'm very glad that our movement, yours, will do something to correct this image. Islam means peace. I should thank Your Holiness for your highly enlightened sermon, not only uh, for the Ahmadis, but I would say for all mankind. Love for all and hatred for none. And this message not only for Muslims, but for everybody. You are a man, though of humble beginnings, your leadership has made you a figure of global prominence. And you have become a guide for millions of Muslims worldwide.
Um, we have, uh, as is the norm, two segments here for you, for you to tie to um, uh, two topics to discuss, and we would love uh, for you to participate in those discussions. Um, the first one is uh, about the uh, recession or the upcoming recession, as everybody's talking about. So, how is um, is the rise in uh, prices? How is the uh, upcoming recession beginning to affect us all already? And the second segment is about a report by the BBC around ill patient, ill treatment of patients at mental health hospitals. So those are the two topics of the day. The number to call is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, let me start with the. Um, with the headlines appearing in the newspapers today. So leading with what's been the story of the weekend, The Guardian writes that Liz Trust is fighting for her political survival after veteran Tory MP Crispin Blunt broke ranks to declare that Prime Minister's game is up. Ministers are waiting anxiously for the markets to open this morning. The paper notes to see uh, see whether uh, Ms. Trust's decision to sack a former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng has paid off. Elsewhere, there is a nod to an independent review of the Met Police, with Louise Casey concluding in her interim report that there is misogyny and systemic racism in the force's misconduct procedures. The Times has the same top stories, but leads with the police report and Baroness Casey's findings that sex offenders, racists and misogynists are working at the Met owing to an anything-goes attitude towards misconduct. The review was ordered after the murder of Sarah Everand by a serving officer. In politics, the paper reports that mistrust is due to meet Sir Graham Brady, chairman of the Backbench 1922 Committee, after some of its senior members held talks late Friday about mistrust's future. There's also an eye-catching image of a King Charles Spaniel with dog fans reportedly hoping the new king will boost the breed's popularity. 
Beginning a trend on today's front page is the eye headlines on challenges the Prime Minister faces going into this week. The paper claims multiple MPs have told it they think a formal a formal challenge against mistrust could break out in a matter of days. Others are willing to wait until new Chancellor Jeremy Hunt delivers his medium-term fiscal plan on the 31st of October, it adds. The Metro goes a step further than uh, the eye, detailing not uh, just general challenges, but instead what it reports are the three thickening plots to oust mistrust from 10 Downing Street, beside images of the Tory MPs widely tipped to replace mistrust, including former leadership rivals Rishi Sunak and Penny Morant. Um, she looks concerned as for the uh, as for the plots. The paper claims either Miss Sunak or um, and Miss Morton will replace the Prime Minister on a dream ticket. Defence Secretary Ben Wallens will do the same, or the new Chancellor will take the top job for himself. Citing the three Tory MPs on who on Sunday called for their boss to stand aside, the Daily Mirror has a clear message for Miss Truss in its main headline, Quit Now, as well as Miss Blunt. Jamie Wallace and Andrew Bridgen went public with their calls for the Prime Minister to resign. In his message to the party's leader, Mr. Wallace said the government had undermined Britain's economic credibility with its mini-budget and fractured the Conservative Party irreparably, the paper notes. Elsewhere on the front page is TV presenter Davina McCall, who's promoting her new book about support to women. Describing the backbench MPs turning on Mrs. Trust as mutinous, the Daily Mail reports the, that rebels are imploring Sir Graham of the 1922 Committee to intervene. Resignations and more than 100 letters of no confidence are the alternative, the paper writes, citing unidentified sources as well as a nod to Met report that there also... There's also a picture of actors Elizabeth Dobicki and Dominic West who play Princess Diana King Charles III in the upcoming series of Netflix, The Crown. Fury has, eru- has erupted after the streaming service's refusal to act scenes depicting the late Diana's death in 1997, the paper claims. The Daily Express, which has been an adamant supporter of Miss Truss, asks whether more U-turns on the mini-budget can save our economy. It comes following reports that the Chancellor plans to delay Mrs. Truss's flagship 1% cut to income tax by a year. She's facing D-Day, the paper writes, with another reference to the anxious wait for the financial markets to open for the first time since Mr. Quarteng's economic policy was torn up. Britain needs stability, not a soap opera leader of the common, Commons, Penny Morton writes in the Daily Telegraph, signalling she's isn't planning to stage a coup against mistrust, likening the Prime Minister's struggles to those faced and overcome by Winston, Church- by Winston Churchill. Miss Morton warns MPs against rebelling and says the country needs pragmatism and teamwork. The paper also has a spot for China's President Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping, who yesterday told the country's ruling Communist Party he had no plans to end his zero-COVID policy, which includes draconian quarantine and invasive contact tracing it writes and finally the financial times leads on mr xi's speech which took place at the opening of communist party's week-long national congress in beijing he outlined goal goals ranging from the unification of china and taiwan to an all-out people's war against covid19 the paper reports in its bit on Miss uh, Trust, the Financial Times says, Mr. The, says MPs aren't the only ones losing confidence on the Prime Minister. Leading city figures are two, Tory pair Stuart Rose, the former MS boss and ASDA chair, tell the paper Miss Trust 
is uh, busted flush. So those were the headlines appearing in the newspapers today. A quick break, and when we come back, more on what's happening in the um, uh, in the newspapers this morning. of Islam Radio. Life of Muhammad, peace be upon him. High moral qualities. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was always very patient in adversity. He was never discouraged by adverse circumstances, nor did he permit any personal desire to get a hold over him. It has been related that his father had died before his birth and his mother died while he was still a little child. Up to the age of eight, he was in the guardianship of his grandfather, and after the latter's death, he was taken care of by his uncle, Abu Talib, both on account of natural affection and also because he had been specially admonished in that behalf by his father. Abu Talib always watched over his nephew with care and indulgence, but his wife was not affected by these considerations to the same degree. It often happened that she would distribute something among her own children, leaving out their little cousin. If Abu Talib chanced to come into the house on such an occasion, he would find his little nephew sitting apart, a perfect picture of dignity and without a trace of sulkiness or grievance on his face. The uncle, yielding to the claims of affection and recognizing his responsibility, would run to the nephew, clasp him to his bosom and cry out, Do pay attention to this child of mine also. Do pay attention to this child of mine also. Such incidents were not uncommon and those who were witnesses to them were unanimous in their testimony that the young Muhammad, peace be upon him, never gave any indication that he was in any way affected by them, or that he was in any sense jealous of his cousins. Later in life, when he was in a position to do so, he took upon himself the care and upbringing of two of his uncle's sons, Ali, peace be upon him, and Jafir, peace be upon him, and discharged this responsibility in the most excellent manner. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, throughout his life, had to encounter a succession of bitter experiences. He was born an orphan, his mother died while he was still a small child, and he lost his grandfather at the age of eight years. After marriage, he had to bear the loss of several children, one after the other, and then his beloved and devoted wife, Khadija, died. Some of the wives he married after Khadija's death died during his lifetime, and towards the close of his life, he had to bear the loss of his son, Ibrahim. He bore all these losses and calamities cheerfully, and none of them affected in the least degree either his high resolve or the urbanity of his disposition. His private sorrows never found vent in public, 
and he always met everybody with a benign countenance and treated all alike with uniform benevolence. On one occasion, he observed a woman who had lost a child, occupied in loud mourning, over her child's grave. He admonished her to be patient and to accept God's will as supreme. The woman did not know that she was being addressed by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and replied, If you had ever suffered the loss of a child as I have, you would have realized how difficult it is to be patient under such an affliction. The Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, observed, I have suffered the loss not of one, but of seven children, and passed on. Except when he referred to his own losses or misfortunes in this indirect manner, he never cared to dwell upon them, nor did he permit them in any manner to interfere with his unceasing service to mankind and his cheerful sharing of their burdens. of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from Southland Studios of Voice of Islam. Um, we're talking about the uh, the news appearing in the newspapers uh, this morning. Uh, Imam Shazia Bata, do you have anything you, can, you want to talk about? Yes, of course. Very interesting... Um sort of piece here by the BBC of some Hong Kong pro-democracy protesters um, which were pulled into the Chinese consulate in Manchester on Sunday and were allegedly beaten up. The BBC reports that an unidentified man came out of the consulate and forced a man inside the compound before escaping and with the help of police and other demonstrators. The protester told the BBC they dragged me inside and they beat me up. A consulate spokesperson said protesters had displayed an insulting portrait of China's president. The Foreign Office said it was urgently seeking clarity on the incident and Greater Manchester Police has launched an investigation. Speaking after the incident, the protester called Bob, told BBC Chinese that mainlanders, people from mainland China, as opposed to Hong Kong, came out of the consulate and destroyed their posters. As we tried to stop them, they dragged me inside and they beat me up, he said, adding that he was then pulled out by the UK police. It's ridiculous. He shouldn't have done that. We are supposed to have freedom to say whatever we want here in the UK. So it's very um, unprecedented, should we say, um, uh, sorts of events um, whereby an allegation has been raised against the Chinese consulate in Manchester. Uh, Another news... 
and I'm sure all our and the listeners are aware of the current political uncertainty, should we say, about the current PM's tenure here uh, within the United Kingdom, and it's um, propping up everywhere, really. The BBC has uh, raised a question mark entitled their piece, How Long Can Liz Trust Survive as Prime Minister? And some PMPs in the Conservative Party feel close to giving up after weeks of market turmoil and political chaos. The mood is bleak. The debate is, in the, regarding the past 72 hours, as to how long this trust can survive in Downing Street. A small number of Conservative MPs have now called publicly on the Prime Minister to go, and more could well follow soon. In conversation with the BBC over the weekend, many other urged Ms. Truss would have to leave office before the next election, and some believe she could hang on for a few, for a few more months. Um, but an increasing number argue she has weeks or even days left, even though there's no clarity on how that would come about or who would take over. So, wherever we look nowadays in the news, it's very astonishing um, whether it's in the West or the East. Mm. Um, there is political uncertainty. I think just a couple of days back, um, President Trump has been called into court to testify about the uh, January the 6th riots, uh, mm. which happened. Um, so I think that'll be a first, mm. whereby an ex-president has been called into court. Um, and if you look in the East, then there's countries like Sri Lanka who are still grappling with the um, political and mm. uh, economic instability. Countries like Pakistan, where there's huge uh, uproar from the... Well, not really the opposition, because they uh, resigned from the opposition, but the... Um, the other party, the, the uh, PTI, and um, here in the UK, um, and, and obviously not to forget Russia and Ukraine, whereby Ukraine's having huge feats over uh, lands which were initially claimed by mm. Russia, but are now being reclaimed by Ukraine, um, so which is naturally making Russia very uh, uh, upset and is uh, sort of concerning for the rest of us because that would uh, insinuate or President Putin has insinuated using the big red button. Um, and nobody wants that. Yeah, okay. that is um, uh, that is really troubling because um, uh, you know to be in such a powerful position and to even use uh, the N word mm. um, is uh, is a no no in in international uh, is unprecedented. Oh yeah. Uh, as well, I don't think it came to that uh, even during the um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. Even during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, um, mm. when the world did come close to um, you know uh, a nuclear situation, but I don't think it was touted about, and I think it was talked about. It was um, it was threatened like mm. that openly and publicly, like uh, it has been. Um, and uh, that uh, brings me to the warnings that His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, uh, may Allah be his helper, has been giving to the world over the last few years, and uh, and those warnings have increased in uh, in intensity over the last few weeks. I think uh, uh, in his uh, Friday sermons um, of the previous two weeks, both weeks, I think he's talked about how dire the the, and and those are the, I I think his words how dire the world situation is, and um, how quickly the world is heading towards a disaster, unless people really uh, reflect on on their actions <coughs> and and take take stock of what uh, of the situation, and uh, make amends. Exactly, you know that's bang on, because if we look around these countries, um, 
the majority of these powerful nations, there's a lot of uh, political instability. And that political instability will cause economic instability. And that's what's happening, well, here, if anything. Um, you know, everybody knows of the energy crisis, everybody knows of the cost of living crisis. So many people have been unfortunate in terms of with their timing with being able to purchase a house because of now the mortgage deals are being, you know, either retracted or they are uh, too expensive for, mm. for some people. And, you know, they're saying it's because of you know, external factors, but a lot of it's internal too with the new premiership. Um, so it's very worrying and it's it's right what you're saying about quoting his holiness. Everybody certainly needs to reflect on themselves as to where we are right now currently um, and how we can better improve the situation or the cards that we've been dealt with. Um, mm. Because bearing in mind, you know, two or two and a half years of COVID, one could say that, you know, they, those years were the worst in, in recent history. Mm. Uh, and, you know, by the sheer grace of God, you know, we came out of that pretty unscathed. But now... Um, you know, it's and we thought it was. You're absolutely right. Reflecting on that now, at that time, we thought that that was worse. That was it. You know, and, yeah. And and now we 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 still have a, a much deeper energy crisis. Much deeper energy crisis. Um, we have cost, a cost of, of living. living. Tesco came out the other day, yesterday, yesterday or Sainsbury's, um, that we're going to have to raise prices. Mm. And, you know, it's, we said we know it's going to hurt everyone, but you know, we have no other choice. Everything's gone up. Um, you know, mm. the the running costs and what have you. So. That would have a knock-on effect on the consumers, um, and even if you currently look at the fuel prices, yeah, you know, these com- commodities, exactly, yeah, yeah. you know, that's what happens, and that's why so many companies have gone on strike. Royal Mail said the other day they they're letting six thousand employees go, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a huge number, um, and nobody was threatening uh, bombing with nukes uh, two years ago during COVID. Exactly. So. Yeah. So that's the. Um, yeah. I reckon if you just read the news on a daily basis, you will fall into an emotional state. Mm-hmm. Dare I use the D word, depression, which is used quite a bit, but yeah. you know, it's true. You wouldn't be far from that. Oh, absolutely, that's absolutely true, and uh, I, I certainly try to limit my, yeah. <laughs> my daily dose of, uh, of of current affairs. Um, I, I do write, like to stay updated, but mm. yeah, there's only so much you can take because exactly. there is uh, there there aren't many um, you know good things happening around the world. There aren't mm. many things which cheer you up, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, even if they are, I mean, which I there must mm. be, but we just you know we just don't. Get, they don't sell the papers, I guess. Well, I, I think it, it, it partly also depends on which side you're on. If you're on Manchester yeah. City side, you're, you're, you're probably... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you're probably not. <laughs> you're probably not very happy. Yeah, yeah. so y- your thoughts on the match yesterday? What a game that was. You could tell by the the players' faces or the intensity on that pitch. You know, it's unbelievable, especially after very um, high what match. happened. The VAR disallowed a goal and then yeah. Liverpool's goal um, and then the incredible... Um, you know, so tenacity both teams showed. The you know they're the best teams in the world, quite frankly. You know, they're playing mm. in the best league. So you know the the caliber or the, or the level, the bar was just right up there. Um, you know, for neutrals it was brilliant, but for the supporters, you know, of either side, they must have been on the edge of their seats. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I as a neutral, I enjoyed it. Mm. And uh, would you agree with Klopp when he said that uh, they should have scored at least a couple more, Liverpool? I mean, if you look at the stats, City had the majority of the possession. Mm. They had the ball, but just not the end product. Mm. And when they lost the ball, then, you know, Liverpool's counter-attack was 
you know fantastic mm. so I think cause you could say both sides um, Liverpool yes perhaps they could score uh, perhaps one or two more uh, with Nunez being slightly greedy I think he should have passed it once just one near the end of the game uh, to Salah um, but nonetheless you know they got their three points and they move up I think to eights now but City's been up I think um, second or third maybe even higher I don't know but nonetheless you know City's had a good start Liverpool's had a sort of a wobbly start to the season but um, this win would have boosted their morale and um, sort of mentality to you know let's go again sort of thing um, because you know we know the threat that they possess and it's what a pass it was from the from the goalie to uh, what a pass that was that counter attack that's what it made and then Salah's turn on um, Cancelo unbelievable and then the finish you know having the composure to finish right at the end yeah. with the pressure you know and at the end of the day it's just a league game exactly it's not, it's not sort of a final <laughs> they just you know, the two competing teams. for points exactly yeah. right okay excellent uh, so that uh, wraps up our segment of current affairs we shall now take a quick break and when we come back we will uh, talk about the first topic which is about recession how is that affecting us uh, please do tell us call us at 0208-687-7878 you can also tweet us at voice of islam uk You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُوهُ بِهَا Al-Bari is a word that emulates the whole of the creation of the universe. Allah calls himself Al-Bari, the originator, the maker, the evolver, on three occasions in the Holy Quran. He is the one who creates from out of nothing. He is not merely the first cause, he is the creator, the maker, the fashioner. And it is he who exercises control over the universe at all times. Al-Bari creates with no model or similarity and evolves that which is in perfect proportion and harmony without any fault. God is the supreme being who exists independently of everything else. He is the sole creator of the universe the maker of the heavens and the earth. No event occurs in the universe without God's knowledge and explicit consent. He is the ultimate source of every action and happening, animate or inanimate. God has not only created the galaxies and stars, but also the life forms of this earth 
He is the nourisher and sustainer of all creation. He is their Lord. The holy attribute of Allah, Al-Bari, captures the creation of the whole of the universe. The quality of creating the universe out of nothingness and then perpetuating it into existence. This wonderful attribute aligns perfectly with the current scientific view about the creation of the universe from the Big Bang and its continuous expansion. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the Fourth, may Allah be pleased with him, shed light on this concept in his book Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth detailing how the Holy Qur'an is the only divine scripture to speak about the continuous expansion of the universe. He states, It should be remembered that the concept of the continuous expansion of the universe is exclusive to the Qur'an. No other divine scriptures even remotely hint at it. The discovery that the universe is constantly expanding is of prime significance to scientists because it helps create a better understanding of how the universe was initially created. It clearly explains the stage-by-stage -stage process of creation in a manner which perfectly falls into step with the theory of the Big Bang the Qur'an goes further and describes the entire cycle of the beginning, the end, and the return again to a similar beginning. Highlighting the unique qualities of Allah, it is all the more important to ponder over this attribute while remembering Allah in order to attain His nearness and favor. This divine attribute, Al-Bari, depicts a wonderful view of the creation of the universe that continues to astound the modern man. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Welcome back to the live edition of uh, Breakfast Show from Voice of Islam. So, in the first segment, we were discussing about uh, some news from the of the week, and uh, yeah, we have a little bit, a little bit of chit chat about the football. And uh, in this uh, segment, uh, we are going to discuss about how is the recession affecting us. So. Uh, the gist of the story is uh, due to the recession some people may lose their jobs or find it harder to get promotions or pay rises big enough to allow them to cope with increases in prices. Uh, graduates and school leavers could find a first job harder to get. However, the pain of a recession is typically not felt equally across society and inequality can increase benefit recipients and those with fixed incomes are particularly likely to struggle. So, the question rises here that is the UK close to a recession 
So the Office for National Statistics showed that GDP fell 0.3% in the three months to August. The possible recession could be from the UK's economic issues, such as increases in such as increases in prices, including energy prices. This means that people's incomes are dropping due to the prices. In August, 19 in August, 9.9% of inflation rose. On the other hand, the government has said that they will provide support for energy bills. Some people may lose their jobs and unemployment could rise. Graduates and school leavers could find it harder to get their first job. The recession can cause many people to lose their job, causing unemployment. As I said before, the, those looking for jobs after graduation and school leavers will find it harder to look for. Thank you very much uh, for that um, introduction, Imam Daniel. Uh, let me now welcome our first guest um, for the show, uh, Mr. Matthew Aluwali, who is um, who conducts research into carbon emissions um, and how they can be reduced in housing. He is a program officer at Ashton. Assalamualaikum, peace be with you. A warm welcome to the breakfast show. Good morning. Really nice to be here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so, Matthew, tell us uh, a little bit about Ashton. Yes, yeah, so Ashton are a climate change charity that really searches for innovative solutions to the climate crisis. We work in the UK and internationally, and we look to showcase these solutions. So we tell positive stories of people who are really trying to make a difference in the world. Um, and I work in Ashton's UK team. I help to run the Ashton Awards, which are a little bit like the Oscars or the BAFTAs, but for climate change. Wow. Um, and I also carry out research on the skills training that's required to fulfill some of the green jobs that's, that are going to make our local areas more sustainable, whether that's in housing or energy or transport, for example. Awesome. So um, we, as you know, have been hit with soaring energy bills and many are apprehensive about the next few months. Um, who is the most vulnerable and how will rising bills affect them? Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, so, so I think this winter it's quite different because the scale of the energy crisis means those that we typically view as being vulnerable widens quite significantly. So first off, I think um, those um, simply without the financial means or savings to pay these surging energy prices, which have doubled since last winter, will be vulnerable to this crisis. On top of that, those with health issues, such as respiratory problems that could be aggravated by issues such as damp and mold that can develop in cold homes if heating systems are not used properly and will also be vulnerable this winter. Um, and on top of that, those that live in poorly insulated homes, um, which in the UK means millions of people will be infected as we have, affected, sorry, as we have um, some of the oldest and leakiest housing in Europe. And the charity National Energy Action states that up to 6.7 million people could be in fuel poverty this winter, which is the term that looks at how, um, how much of a household's disposable income is dominated by their fuel bills. So that's the, really, that's the reason why this issue is so important, because the, the usual perceptions of um, vulnerability to a crisis um, is widened massively, um, and so many people will be affected by this. And Matthew, what is the Warm This Winter campaign um, and why are you supporting it? Yeah, so, well, we all deserve to be warm in our home. We all deserve to live with dignity. Um, but right now, soaring energy prices means that mil many millions of people are struggling to pay their bills 
And worryingly, gas prices, which are um, causing this problem, are predicted to stay high for at least sort of three years, three to five years, which means that today's energy bills and this current crisis is not a one-off as it currently stands. And the warmness winter campaign demands that the government provides uh, more emergency financial support for people this winter, um, as well as offering more funding to help everyone cut their bills with better insulation in the long term and rapidly move the UK away from expensive gas and onto cheaper renewable energy. Um, as the, more, um, the longer we stay in oil and gas and the more licenses we grant to oil and gas companies, means the longer the UK is locked into this expensive and fluctuating um, energy crisis. So it's about recognising, the Warmness Winter Campaign is about recognising the immediate need of helping people get through the coming months, whilst also building our long-term energy security through insulating the UK's homes. And I think the important thing about all of this is that insulating our homes nationally um, doesn't just save everybody money on our bills. A mass insulation programme would create employment in all areas of the country, um, across all societal groups. It would reduce our carbon footprint, making all regions um, nicer and a safer places to live. And it would improve the quality of life for residents across the country. Um, so it really would tackle inequality uh, while creating economic growth as well and a boost to, to local jobs, which of course, um, as you highlighted earlier with, the, with inflation and the impending recession, um, is really, really important. And you touched upon the, um, the rising gas costs, which you're saying will last around three to five years. What can be done to support all those you know, that are most affected by the rising gas costs? Well, um, as well as more financial support for people's bills, um, a greater awareness really needs to be raised, I would say, um, of how the public can reduce energy bills without the need for rationing. So steps households can take, for example. Um, and... Another, another action I've seen recently is some local authorities um, support, supporting and, and orchestrating warm banks, which are local spaces offering war, a warm place to spend the day for local residents. So, for example, Gateshead Council in the northeast have created an interactive map um, which showcases all the places in the local area you can escape the cold for a few hours for free, um, and many other councils are doing the same. Um, so it, it, it does depend where you live on, on, on what support is being enacted right now, um, but there's definitely definitely support going on. Yeah, Matthew, so what ways can individual households adopt to mitigate heat loss over the winter months? Uh, well, there's a couple of things really um, related to bills and, and specific heat loss measures. So first off, I would say if anyone is struggling to pay their bills, the first thing to always do is get in touch with your supplier as it's their duty to really find a solution and work with you on this. And you can also, on top of that, sign up to the Priority, Priority Services Register, which is a system that energy companies use to make sure the correct support is given to their most vulnerable customers. Um, and it's also important that, you, that people know what support is available, whether that's um, for people ensuring that they are receiving the right amount of economic support that they're entitled to, or, um, for example, getting a better understanding of the government's energy subsidies and price caps. And a good starting place here is the Citizens Advice website, as well as the National Energy Action website um, for advice there. In terms of improving um, heat loss in your house, well, this is the kind of difficult thing because it depends on what type of um, resident you are. So homeowners can take steps to improve the energy efficiency of their home by um, kind of including measures such as um, adding loft insulation or draft proofing their home and the energy trust energy saving trust website is a good starting place for this 
But of course, there's millions of us that aren't fortunate enough to own their own property. Many don't have this luxury. Um, for example, those in social housing or renting in the private sector who will not have that luxury of being able to go and um, install measures themselves. And many landlords might look to um, add insulation to homes as it will protect their um, assets long term. Um, but it's why more than ever we really need a national program to insulate our homes um, at speed and at scale um, as there's really an inequality gap widening between those that um, can afford to improve their households and those that are renting or don't have the opportunity to improve their households. And um, I know you touched on the inequality gap between different um, societal groups and we know that um, typically those from diverse backgrounds are less likely to own their homes in the UK. Um, so this is a problem that really is widening kind of traditional inequalities in the UK. Um, so a national program um, of insulating homes, which is what the Warmest Winter Campaign calls for, is really needed to, to protect our country and protect local people for years to come. Matthew, um, 40% of um, carbon emissions uh, come from um, buildings. As somebody who yeah. conducts research in this area in carbon emissions, how far do you think we are in the UK from zero from building zero carbon homes? Um, well, unfortunately, um, are quite a way off. So we currently have, um, you know, close close to 20 million houses in the UK mm. um, that are leaky and, and inefficient to heat. Um, so a first step is. As, as I've called for, um, insulating and protecting all these homes. But the, the current issue is that we lack a skilled workforce to do this. We've had years where we've, we've not had the investment in colleges um, and schools and, and apprenticeships mm. who, can, who can deliver training and in insulation or in heat pumps, which are um, a, low, a low carbon replacement for boilers. And because we've had this lack of investment um, and lack of support, in um, skills training, we've stagnated the crisis and really kicked it, out, um, kicked it down the road, um, which is really delaying our, our, our sort of action to reduce carbon emissions from our housing. It, it is possible. Um, I know we have targets to, to improve, improve our housing um, by 2034. And for example, in Greater Manchester and the UK obviously has um, zero or net zero carbon targets in 2050. But we need that investment in skills training to get that going. And we need to widen skills training in the construction sector to all groups um, to make these opportunities really real for everybody. As you mentioned, government has um, uh, set a few um, targets and deadlines. So 2030 is one, and then uh, uh, there are a few benchmarks there, and then 2034, and um, and then beyond as well. How, how optimistic are you uh, with uh, some of the targets that the government has adopted for 2030? Well, I think it's, it's interesting because some of the, the targets initially were, were pro possibly quite progressive if you compare to what other countries are doing, mm. but w which initially um, was a cause for great optimism. Um, but the, the fear is that when you have a, uh, a, a recession or when you know, the country's economy um, tightens a little bit, um, this will not be seen as a priority, um, getting to zero carbon, reducing mm. our, our carbon footprint. Um, mm. And I think it's, it's, it's important to almost reframe, reframe the sustainability argument as an economic argument, as a health argument. You know, if we can improve and reduce our carbon emissions, we'll have cleaner air and we'll have, health, we'll have a healthier population that rely less on the NHS. You know, if we improve our buildings, 
will create more jobs and more, and more economic growth for people across the country. So I think what, what makes me positive is that we have the solutions, we know how to tackle the crisis, we just need to reframe the sort of argument and our approach and really prioritize it to boost lots of different benefits. So uh, let me, um, uh, you know, at um, 7.54 a.m., pretty early on a, on a Monday morning, uh, put another <laughs> uh, sort of uh, <laughs> a, a difficult question uh, in the mix, which is, um, you know, the government's recent um, licenses that they have given for oil exploration. So mm-hmm. how, how, how do you think that affects um, uh, the, uh, well, if anything, your optimism? <laughs> Well, it, it, it's very difficult because, mm. um, and I guess confusing a little, because we know that, um, well, first off, for the energy crisis, oil and gas is, is bought and sold on international markets. So if we were to, to ramp up production, it wouldn't really affect our direct um, energy prices. And also it would take a few years for, for the new oil and gas to come online anyway. And, and it really, it locks us in to, to more instability long term it locks us into more carbon emissions it locks us into um more 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 health or economic issues um which affects my um i guess positivity long term um but but as i said before there's there, there's so many solutions for, for local renewable energy generation um there's, there's so many community energy projects which are popping up across the uk we have a we have a really a, a a surging um, wind wind energy market mm. and so there's, there's lots of lots of solutions out there which are growing we just need that um, political support at the top let's say to really focus um, on on this issue and, and, and support our country that way exactly and, and you're, you're absolutely right that you know it's uh, it's unfortunate that uh, because of the uh, the current crisis in Ukraine and uh, all the other things happening as a result of that you know the Sustainability gets a back seat, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it's it, it's not um, it, it unfortunately not again not on the top of um, the government's agenda um, anymore. So it, it, we are um, in an uphill battle, I think, uh, when it comes to uh, to sustainability and um, uh, the whole discussion around that. Uh, but um, really good to speak to you, uh, Matthew. Uh, thank you very much for your input today. Yeah, I think. Um, uh, lots happening in this sector as well uh, to end on a positive note. Yeah, I think um, Ashton and I was really um, very pleasantly surprised to hear that the awards that uh, that Ashton um, hosts is, um, are, are you were saying they're, they're the BAFTAs of the um, <laughs> uh, of of the sustainability world. So yeah, that's uh, uh, that's an awesome thing to do as well. Thank you very much, uh, Matthew. Thank you for your time. Really a pleasure no to speak to you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Have, Have a great day. And you. Bye bye. So that was uh, Matthew Aluwali, who um, is a program officer at Ashton, um, and uh, he's somebody who's uh, into research, um, into reducing um, carbon emissions uh, in housing, uh, as well as uh, the skills training that's required uh, to go into that. Right. Um, We are coming up uh, to the 8 o'clock news, um, so we shall now take a quick break. We are still talking about... um, how is the recession affecting us? We, we've talked uh, a little bit over the last 15 minutes or so about the soaring energy bills and the debate around that. If you want to contribute in this discussion, please do call us at 020-8687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. When we come back after the news, we will continue this discussion. 
and um, hope to have uh, some calls from our uh, listeners as well. of Islam Radio. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لو يعلم المؤمن ما عند الله من العقوبة ما طمع بجنته أحد ولو يعلم الكافر ما عند الله من الرحمة ما قلط من جنته أحد حضرت أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه نريتس that the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, if a believer were to know the punishment in hell, none would have the audacity to aspire for paradise, but he would earnestly desire to be rescued from hell. And if a non-believer were to know what is there with Allah as a mercy, none would have been disappointed in regard to paradise. of Islam Radio. War, poverty, famine, disease, oppression by dictators, dispossessed and persecuted in Palestine, Yemen, Kashmir and Myanmar. The series of indignities that the Muslim world faces are seemingly endless. Many Muslims look at these issues and blame others for them. They blame everyone but themselves. And whilst the perpetrators of the aforementioned suffering certainly do bear a significant portion of the blame, they are not the root cause of the problems of the Muslim world. They are the exploiters of the spiritual and moral degradation of the Muslims themselves. 
A structure well fortified and kept in good condition is not so easy to storm, but one that has become dilapidated and within which rot has taken hold is far easier to overcome. Thus, a significant portion of the blame must lie with the Muslim world itself, which has become misguided and fractured, such that it is ripe for abuse. This is a bitter pill that few Muslims are willing to swallow. This condition was foretold by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who warned us, There will come a time upon the people when nothing will remain of Islam except its name, and nothing will remain of the Qur'an except its words. Their mosques will be splendidly furnished, but destitute of guidance. Their scholars will be the worst people under heaven. Strife will issue from them and avert to them. So it is established on the authority of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, himself, that the underlying reason for the problems faced by the Ummah is the spiritual and moral malady that has overtaken it. This sickness that has taken hold of the Ummah is the root cause of all the worldly difficulties it faces, the economic, geopolitical and indeed civilizational collapse facing Muslims everywhere. At this juncture, we have to ask ourselves, if God Almighty and His Prophet, peace be upon Him, have given us warning of our state at this time, were we not also given guidance as to the remedy? The answer, of course, is yes. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave the glad tidings that when the Muslim world was at its nadir, its lowest point, God would send a reformer and saviour. He said, I give you the glad tidings of the Mahdi, who will be raised in my ummah at a time of digression and distress. He will fill the earth with equity and justice as it was filled with oppression and violence. Thus, it is clear that a reformer and spiritual saviour would be raised for the age in which the Muslim world would be at its greatest need. The question that naturally arises now is who would such a person be? Since the reformer is given different titles in different traditions, sometimes being called Jesus and other times being referred to as the Mahdi, would it be multiple people or only one person fulfilling all of the prophecies? Again, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has already given us the answer. He said, There is no Mahdi except Isa, Jesus. And whosoever lives from among you shall meet Isa, son of Mary, who is the Imam Mahdi, the arbiter and the judge. This collapses the possibility of the emergence of different individuals and informs us to await a single person who would act in different capacities as both the Imam Mahdi and Jesus or Isa. So it should now be clear that we, the Ummah, are both in dire need of guidance and consolidation and that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, informed us that one person would be raised who would fulfill all of these needs. The next question that arises is when this person would be raised. Again, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave us clear guidance, indicating that this individual would appear around the 19th century. When 1,240 years have passed, God will raise the Mahdi. With all of these emergent questions remarkably satisfied for us by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, it is clear that at this time, as the Muslim world is at its lowest ebb, we are in the age of this promised Messiah who would also be the Imam Mahdi. He would fulfill the prophecies regarding Jesus or Isa and would arise around the late 19th century, in the same way as the first Jesus 
was sent to the Ummah of Moses as a reformer. The promised Messiah of this age, whose name was Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, of Qadian, has already come when he was expected, making his claim in 1889. But most unfortunately for the majority of Muslims, they have yet to accept him. He was the one who was appointed in the spirit and title of Jesus and the Imam Mahdi, and he was the only claimant to this station in that expected time who lived to old age. And he fulfilled the prophecies regarding the Messiah and Mahdi during his life. Brothers and sisters in Islam, we all know that our religion, our lives, our nations, our offspring, our heritage are all under attack in various ways. Remember that none of these things can ever be restored and flourish, as they should, unless we Muslims accept the Imam that God has sent. This religion of ours was never a worldly tree, nor was the shade it afforded us crafted by worldly means. This final apex religion, which is our common heritage, was planted and watered by God himself, and likewise its reformation will not be from worldly processes, but through divine grace. So we urge you, open your hearts, reflect upon the situation of the Ummah and the need for the Messiah, and accept the person that God has appointed. Peace be upon you. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. So, before the break, we were talking about the recession and its impact on us. So, yeah. So, what can be done um, if uh, in the process of recession? So. For example, if the UK goes into recession, the Bank of England would be expected to cut interest rates. This makes it cheaper for business and households um, to borrow money. This can help increase growth. During periods of recession, companies make fewer sales and economic growth stalls or become non-existent. To cut rising costs, organizations may be forced to lay off large portions of their staff resulting in widespread unemployment. At the same time, hiring slowdowns, uh, making it difficult for the newly unemployed to find another job. Investments like stocks and real estate tend to lose money, meaning that retirement and other saving accounts can suffer. 
lenders may also respond to the increased financial uncertainty by raising their lending requirements, uh, making it much more difficult for people to qualify for new credit accounts. Recessions are also uh, are and recessions are an unavoidable part of any economy, but you can uh, weather the storm by anticipating challenges early and preparing for the future. With that in mind, there are few essential steps to help your plan for uncertain times. Like, you can take stock of your financial priorities. One of the hardest part of a recession is not knowing what comes next and wh- when things will get better. Uh, that's uh, that's why it's important to be clear about where you stand financially. Ask yourself these que- these key questions as you take stock of your financial situation. You can ask yourself like, how much cash do I have? Do I have on hand? How much uh, cash can I get my hands on quickly if I need it? So yeah, likewise, uh, you can ask. Um, uh, what are my basic monthly living expenses, including food, shelter, health insurance, um, transportation, and childcare? So now is the time to understand what's, uh, what you are spending today and to anticipate your needs over the next six months. If you are well prepared for a session, a job, lo- a job loss, or other financial hurdle, you will have an emergency fund that covers three to six months of living expenses and hopefully a healthy nest egg for retirement. Uh, Your budget may need to adapt uh, in preparation for a session and that's okay. Uh, Try to cut down on non-essential spendings like um, entertainment, uh, cable and clothing while it's unrealistic to think you can cut all our um, dissensionary spending, it's important to separate wants and needs. Look for areas where you may have overspent. Try to figure out what they have, what have happened. You might not be able to have an extra money right now uh, to put towards your retirement or a down payment, which is all right for the short term. Once you get in the habit of reviewing, uh, reviewing your finances and looking for the problem areas, uh, you are off to a great start. And uh, yeah, so the other point which uh, we can discuss uh, about is focus on debt repayment if you are able. So you might be worried about paying off outstanding debts in the coming months like credits, card bills, utilities uh, or student loans. Uh, if you experience a loss of income, you might have to forge uh, you might have to forego paying one or more of these bills. So it's important to understand which bills you need to pay. After all, if you after all if you lose income, you may not be able to pay every bill on time or in full every month and that will have a direct impact on your credit scores so normally yeah it's important to do whatever you can to keep your credit scores intact Uh, but during a recession that may not be possible um, therefore you should prioritize uh, how you pay your bills so you 
so your available cash cover as many debts uh, and ma- as many debts as you are ab- able so make sure you pay your rent or mortgage on time and in full you don't want to face uh, foreclosure or eviction and make your car payment uh, especially if you need a car to get to work and uh, similarly continue to keep up with your medical debts if you can however do so after other debts are met first if your health uh, insurance is offered through your employer uh, you will continue to receive health insurance coverage even if your medical bills mount if you buy your own health insurance whether you you are self employed or for any other reason be sure you pay your premium on time so your policy isn't cancelled uh, likewise uh, you need to one need to remember uh, that if um, for example if you are falling behind reach out to your creditors and ask for hardship concessions uh, this might include making interest only payments on your debt or putting payments uh, into forbearance and um, uh, you can also check uh, out your local bank or credit union for a personal loan um, there are online lenders as well and your employer may offer a short term long loan uh, program in times of trouble um the other thing which uh, uh, which we can discuss about and uh, uh, which is you know consider your career opportunities both now and in the future so uh, recessions often result in high levels of unemployment so it's important to consider uh, how tough economic times could affect your career and have a backup plan and um, which you know uh, you you face a layoff uh start by refreshing connections within your professional network and be sure to consider uh not only your coworkers but also any connections you have outside of your current employer uh having established uh, relationships at a variety of organizations um can give you a huge uh, leg up in the job market Uh, you might consider reaching out to your network via social media or offering to meet up in person for coffee uh, it may also help to update your resume and other uh, job hunting tools ahead of time as you review your past work experience uh, look for any gaps um, as there are many places where you could you know pursue continuing education or additional training expanding your skills uh, you know as well expanding your skill set is one of the best ways to invest uh, in yourself as an employee uh, this is true even if you are able to keep your position during a recession you know for some workers uh, uh, they are worried about a layoff uh, it may be beneficial to pick up a side gig uh, such as freelancing or working for a ride share application uh, having an extra stream of income can not only help in the event of a layoff but can make it easier uh, you know to build up your um, emergency savings uh, while you are still employed and yeah similarly the next point is 
uh, which is very important um, uh, to keep in mind and be mindful of that point is that you know you can uh, try to bolster your emergency fund ahead of time uh, even if job cuts or layoffs are looming uh, put as much cash into your emergency fund as possible you will need to, you will need every bit of it even uh, when the income stops flowing uh, give up all the extras including um, takeout and delivery so while tapping into your emergency fund is never a decision you should make lightly uh, losing a job or being forced to live you know on a reduced salary certainly uh, it qualifies as a good reason to use some of the cash you have put away however it's important to rebuild your emergency fund as soon as you know uh, your financial situation is more stable otherwise when the next emergency hits you might uh, not able to uh, you know um, have your uh, financial situation is uh, more stable as you know uh, you might have to so that's why you might have to you know make such tough decisions you need to take such uh, tough decisions uh, like withdrawing money from your retirement account or uh, applying for a home equity line of credit so yeah likewise yeah try to also try also make an extra effort to stay on top of your financial situation you know uh, like you can do uh, in the during the period of recession uh, a recession may be an uncertain time but the best thing you can do you know is take proactive steps now to prepare yourself um, to help you stay on top of your finances in these stressful times um, you can trust Equifax for reliable information uh, on need to know topics uh, now more than ever financial education is important so you can feel good about uh, where you are with your money uh, regardless of you know any challenges ahead so yeah, uh, these are the some uh, basic, uh, f you know, under underlying uh, points, which uh, I think one need to keep in mind and be mindful of uh, such things uh, while uh, during the period of recession. And um, yeah, thank you very much, um, uh, Imam Daniel, uh, for that uh, uh, detailed take on. Um, how to manage and uh, how to go about things. Um, uh, Imam Athar, if I can uh, bring you into uh, this discussion around the uh, Islamic aspect of uh, of the discussion. So, um, we are heading um, into a recession. Uh, there is an increasing um, cost of living crisis. Um, uh, there are all sorts of um, other issues as well. Uh, what role um, does an Islamic government play? What role is an Islamic government supposed to play, should I say, a true Islamic government supposed to play um, in a recession um, uh, or generally in terms of when, we, when it comes to the welfare of its people, when it comes to uh, supporting the basic necessities of life? Very pertinent question um, because if you currently look at the Islamic world and we look at the economics, um, quote-unquote, stability 
then we'll find a lack of it. Well, in some parts, anyway. In other parts, we'll find a great amount of wealth, you know. Um, so the Gulf countries, you know, incredibly wealthy. But the underlining and overall understanding is that the welfare system that we believe um, currently established within the Western countries was initially established by Islam. Um, and how do we prove this? Well, we prove this from the various scriptures. Um, you know, the Holy Quran being the first at utmost um, scripture that we quote in chapter 90 verses 15 and 17 we find an instruction for the Muslims uh, whereby they are instructed to feed the hungry to show empathy and love to orphans and to help anyone in need especially those um, in poverty who are defenseless and weak and so what we find from the earlier days of Islam that's um, this this verse and then indeed various others alike were practiced um, and were made part of if you want the constitution um, and we find various accounts various stories and narrations of the messenger of Allah may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and indeed his companions who succeeded him afterwards whereby they looked out for those families and individuals who were um, in poverty we also find Muslims are taught to be the ones who comfort and love those people who have been failed by society and to carry the weight of their burdens on their own shoulders. And you'll also find that Muslims are duty bound you know, to help underprivileged people so that they can stand upon their own two feet, so they can live with dignity and be freed from their desperate circumstances. And in return, the Holy Quran states that the Muslims will be rewarded with increased spirituality, which in return will take them towards God the Almighty and make them the recipients of his pleasure, the ultimate reward. Um, no materialistic reward as such, but Muslims, we believe in the hereafter, which is you know a deciding factor for every um, believing Muslim in another part of the Holy Quran in chapter 2 verse 196 the Holy Quran states if a person wishes to save him or herself from humiliation uh, degradation and ruin he must be kind generous and do good to others without expectation of anything in return Chapter 4, verse 37 of the Holy Quran states that Muslims should care for their neighbours and retreats that it is the duty of a true Muslim to fulfil the rights of the needy and orphans. And it instructs Muslims to be benevolent and to treat anyone under their supervision with love, patience and affection. For example, if a Muslim has a subordinate at work, they should treat them with kindness and generosity. In a separate place in the Holy Quran, chapter 47, verse 39, it states, Allah the Almighty instructs Muslims to spend their wealth for the sake of helping others. And those who are unwilling to do so have been declared as niggardly. And the Holy Quran states that such a misery ways, such miserable ways are not liked by Allah and are a, are a means of darkening a person's soul. So, in essence, we find various... Um, injunctions, various statements from the Holy Quran which promote 
the overall uh, understanding and establishment of the welfare system, a system whereby um, the people in power are instructed in an Islamic country, in a, in a, in a country where the majority are Muslims, to look after those people that are burdened, that cannot support themselves, that are uh, engrossed in austerity and poverty, and to make sure that they are freed um, and so that they can stand upon their own two feet. This is the beauty of Islam. Islam is a practical religion which we always have you know, stated there, the voice of Islam, which gives a solution for the various incumbents that we are faced with on this planet. The Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may peace be upon him, said, and I quote, My state is such that if someone is in distress whilst I'm engaged in the obligatory prayers and I hear their grief, it is my ardent desire to break the prayer and to try to help that person and to show them with as much as love as possible. The Promised Messiah further stated, to, he- to fail to help a brother in their time of need or difficulty is utterly immoral and wrong. So you'll find everywhere and anywhere within the scriptures and indeed the sayings of those noble individuals um, who form part of what we know to be Islam that Islam has always been a religion like many others whereby it supports and and indeed incentivizes others to support those people that are uh, you know in need um, because without helping such people what you'll find here is that the rich will get richer and the poor will remain poor or indeed you know even poorer so this is the solution which Islam presents and this is the solution which we find to be a successful one if we only turn to history and open the books of history and you know, it's our prayer and our and our hope that you know the current situation the current economic instability is quickly turned into stability and you know we pray that the cost of living crisis um you know certainly goes away and you know we go back to our days of complete um, freedom and indeed um, the overall sense of being able to spend on things that we you know hope to do so rather than choosing between whether we heat our homes or feed ourselves as, as many people will be making those difficult decisions Excellent, thank you very much uh, for that uh, detailed take on the Islamic perspective uh, Imam Shah Batra and uh, that concludes our discussion on the first segment about the rising cost of living, um, uh, soaring energy bills, and um, uh, the allied uh, issues that they bring. Um, We shall now take a quick break, and when we come back, we will uh, go on to a story that BBC um, um, talked about um, a couple of weeks ago around the mental health, um, uh, the challenges in the mental health facilities around the UK. Please stay stay tuned.
أشهد أن لا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. is a word that emulates the whole of the creation of the universe. Allah calls Himself Al-Bari, the originator, the maker, the evolver, on three occasions in the Holy Qur'an. He is the one who creates from out of nothing. He is not merely the first cause, He is the creator, the maker the fashioner, and it is he who exercises control over the universe at all times. Al-Bari creates with no model or similarity and evolves that which is in perfect proportion and harmony without any fault. God is the supreme being who exists independently of everything else. He is the sole creator of the universe, the maker of the heavens and the earth. No event occurs in the universe without God's knowledge and explicit consent. He is the ultimate source of every action and happening, animate or inanimate. God has not only created the galaxies and stars, but also the life forms of this earth. He is the nourisher and sustainer of all creation. He is their Lord. The holy attribute of Allah, Al-Bari, captures the creation of the whole of the universe. The quality of creating the universe out of nothingness and then perpetuating it into existence. This wonderful attribute aligns perfectly with the current scientific view about the creation of the universe from the Big Bang and its continuous expansion. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV, may Allah be pleased with him, shed light on this concept in his book, Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth, detailing how the Holy Quran is the only divine scripture to speak about the continuous expansion of the universe. He states, It should be remembered that the concept of the continuous expansion of the universe is exclusive to the Qur'an. No other divine scriptures even remotely hint at it. The discovery that the universe is constantly expanding 
is of prime significance to scientists because it helps create a better understanding of how the universe was initially created. It clearly explains the stage-by-stage -stage process of creation in a manner which perfectly falls into step with the theory of the Big Bang. The Quran goes further and describes the entire cycle of the beginning, the end, and the return again to a similar beginning. Highlighting the unique qualities of Allah, it is all the more important to ponder over this attribute while remembering Allah in order to attain His nearness and favor. This divine attribute, Al-Bari, depicts a wonderful view of the creation of the universe that continues to astound the modern man. of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. My peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 17th of October 2022, and we are about to talk about the second topic of the day, which is um, based on a report by BBC around ill treatment of patients at men mental health hospitals. So an undercover reporter at the Edenfield Centre filmed staff using restraint inappropriately and patients enduring long seclusions in small bare rooms. Staff swore at patients and were seen slapping or pinching them on occasion. Hospital bosses said they have taken immediate action to protect patients. Evidence of abusive and inappropriate treatment of vulnerable patients at a secure mental health hospital. Um, this was uncovered by BBC's Panorama program. Harley, 23-year-old autistic woman who was at Edenfield due to self-harm, was sitting on the floor when at least eight members of the staff picked her up and dragged her away, screaming. She was locked in, in a seclusion um, in seclusion for 17 days, was then allowed for a day only to be hauled back in for another 10 days. Staff were paid to provide round-the-clock care, described her as a cancer who needs a good thrashing. She and her family have agreed to share their story. Panorama's undercover reporter was told that Harley had previously been aggressive towards staff, but this time they said she was being isolated for screaming and being verbally abusive. Seclusion should only be used when it is of immediate necessity to, uh, 
to contain behavior that is likely to harm others with patients locked away for the shortest time necessary guidelines say. At one point, a nurse was filmed saying staff wanted her kept in seclusion because they needed a break from her. Reviewing footage of the incident, Dr. Van Welson said you cannot deprive somebody of their liberties because staff are fed up of them. What is the most common treatment um, now for mental illnesses? So psychotherapy or counseling, it is one of the most common treatments for mental health disorders. It involves uh, talking about your problems with a mental health professional, but is also um, so much more. So uh, in this segment, we shall be talking about uh, the treatment options for mentally um, mentally ill people, um, stigma and discrimination um, around mental health problems that make um, uh, the situation worse for them. Social isolation, poor housing, unemployment and poverty are all linked to uh, mental ill health. Why are people with mental um, uh, health uh, problems discriminated against, um, as I said, and um, the potential advantages versus disadvantages of hospital treatments? Those are the themes we shall um, have a discussion on today. But uh, before we go on to that discussion, let me play a small uh, clip um, from one of the uh, conferences um, uh, around mental health held in uh, back in 2019. Let's uh, take a listen. I reiterate that all of your members here in the UK, as well as the doctors in other countries, should sacrifice as much time as possible for Vakfiyazi whilst doctors from the Vakfino scheme should present themselves to the Jamaat for full-time service as soon as they have completed their training. After these brief words, I wish to present an excerpt of the Prophet Islam regarding the spirit of sincere service of humanity that he desired to see amongst the members of his Jamaat. The Prophet Islam said, Sincerely, uh, sincerity towards others and love for humanity is a part of faith. The definition of the highest moral values is that sincere kindness and sympathy by, uh, be professed towards all humanity without any expectation of reward or recompense. This is what is known a true humanity. The Prophet Islam further states, Allah the Almighty never forsakes those people who hold within their hearts sincere love for humanity. These precious words of the Prophet should be your guiding light and remain etched in your heart and mind at all times. They should <clears throat> they should uh, underscore the fact that through Allah's grace and mercy alone you have been able to acquire 
the knowledge and proficiency through which you can help and serve humanity in a way that others cannot. And so you must utilize these skills for the sake of alleviating the suffering of mankind. <clears throat> Thus, it should not be that our Ahmadi doctors utilize their expertise only for the sake of earning the riches of the world or for climbing the professional ladder. Rather, it is imperative that each and every one of you sacrifices a significant period of your lives for the service of the Jamaat by utilizing your expertise and training for the sake of humanity. Only then will you fulfill the rights of mankind according to your capabilities and only then will you be counted amongst those people who have acquired the highest morals as outlined, uh, outlined by the Prophet Muhammad <clears throat> At the end, taking benefit of this event, I wish to address not only the members of the Medical Association in the UK, but all Ahmadi doctors and medical professionals across the world. Always remember that you must utilize the skills and knowledge you have acquired to fulfill the needs of humanity. <clears throat> As I have said, you should sacrifice your time for the Jamaat <clears throat> rather than only focusing upon your worldly careers. May Allah the Almighty enable all of you to discharge your uh, duties to humanity to the very best of your abilities and to fulfill the expectations of the Prophet and of Khulafa uh, of the Jamaat Ahmadiyya in the very best way. Right, so that was uh, the fifth head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, talking about the importance, um, uh, talking about the duties of doctors and how important it is for them to discharge those responsibilities in the best uh, possible way. Uh, Imam Shahzeh Bathar, um, your thoughts firstly on, uh, on, on this report by the BBC? unimaginable, you know, for individuals who are already in pain, suffering mentally, to be subject to such abhorrent acts of um, discrimination and indeed violence to some degree, you know, whereby they are put through further mental torture. You know, this particular lady, seclusion for 17 days, you know, that's something out of, um, you know, you would expect it to happen to someone who's committed an atrocious act. Um, you know, and that's why they've been sent to sort of 
those 17 odd days in, in seclusion. So it's, you know, I think what the BBC's done here is fantastic in, you know, bringing this to everybody's attention. Um, you know, sunlight being the, the greatest disinfection. Um, and, you know, it, this should be something that comes out of this now, you know, so that there aren't any further cases of this discrimination, of this abuse of power, should we say, uh, and inappropriate treatment, you know, of these patients um, who are suffering so dearly. Because if this is allowed, then, you know, what's the difference between this country and those third world countries where, firstly, they don't even believe in the concept of mental health, and secondly, you know, if they do, then the the overall standard of care is detrimental, um, is it the calibre that it should be. So, I think this should, these people should be set and made an example of, uh, because if they get away with this, then that opens a, the floodgates for various other care facilities, um, and we simply cannot allow this, especially in the in the country that we reside in. Right. Um, so, to conclude this uh, discussion, then, what uh, what do you think are the responsibilities um, again um, of uh, an Islamic government, and and what? Uh, where does this whole debate and question around mental health stand within the context of Islam? Well, the overall understanding of Islam is that the hearts that you find comfort in the remembrance of Allah. And that's what everything draws back to. Now, yes, you know, the Islamic uh, instruction and indeed supports and succor that Islam gives is one of turning towards Allah in times of both difficulty and indeed happiness you know Islam has always been a religion which uh, advocates for a living God a God which answers our prayers and indeed um, our, our times of difficulty because without you know us believing in a, a, a Lord or a, or a higher being there for us you know it becomes very much so difficult to even fathom our own existence let alone our issues and problems that we will have to face so that is the underlying um, answer that Islam gives you know turning to Allah in times of difficulty um, and indeed you know also finding comfort in people of Allah you know the people of nobility um, he will help you know others to gain a similar um, closenessness to Allah Almighty because you know as we touched upon earlier on in our previous segment you know other people are incentivized to support people that are in need that require help and you know it's the duty of every Muslim to support other Muslims other people who require help and support, whatever that help and support is. You know, there isn't one sort of category of, of people that, you know, Islam states and they should um, be supported because of their certain circumstances. The, the doors are open, you know, you can define need by whatever you want to, you know, nothing is limited. So and that's why, uh, you know, you find in the earlier days of Islam and indeed currently, you know, um, some parts of the world where there's a whole system in place whereby they support those people that um, require help um, because of the various injunctions we find within the Holy Quran. Um, Imam Daniel, anything you would want to add? Yeah, like you said, um, 
there are many beautiful uh, injunctions in the Holy Quran and profound teaching uh, of the Holy Quran <coughs> which uh, gives us a very good insight like in chapter 90 uh, verses 15 to 17 uh, Muslims are instructed to feed the hungry, to show empathy and love to orphans, and to help anyone in need, especially those mired in poverty or who are defenseless and, and weak. Uh, Muslims are taught to be the ones who comfort and love those people um, who have failed by the society and to carry the weight of their burdens uh, on their own shoulders. <coughs> Um, Muslims are duty-bound uh, to help underprivileged people so that they can stand upon their own two feet, uh, live with dignity and be freed from their uh, desperate circumstances. Uh, in return, the Quran states, uh, Muslims will be rewarded with increased spirituality, uh, which in return will take them towards God Almighty and make them recipients of his pleasure. Um, similarly, in chapter 2, verse 196, um, the Holy Quran states that if a person wishes to save himself from humiliation, degradation, and ru uh, ruin, uh, he must be kind, generous, and do goods to others um, without expectation of anything in return. Um, chapter 4, verse 37 of the Holy Quran states that uh, Muslims should care for their neighbors. Um, so it is our duty, uh, it is the duty of a true Muslim uh, to fulfill the rights of the needy and orphans. Um, it instructs Muslims uh, to be benevolent and to treat anyone uh, under their supervision with love, patience and affection. Um, for example, if a Muslim has a subordinate at work, they should treat them with kindness and generosity. Uh, furthermore, in chapter 47, verse 39 of the Holy Quran, um, Allah the Almighty instructs Muslims to spend their wealth for the sake of helping others. Uh, those who are unwilling to do so uh, have been declared as uh, niggardly and the Quran states that such miserly ways are not liked by Allah and are a means of darkening a person's soul. So yeah, there are many injunctions and many things of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, he said once uh, that even, you know, smiling at somebody is, uh, is a form of charity. And you know, uh, sometimes you never know that uh, just by these small kind of uh, acts um, which can have a huge impact on somebody's life and uh, you know, it might be a, you know, a big turn uh, towards a positive uh, life. Um, some someone who can be, you know, uh, going through a uh, hard times. Uh, uh, they are facing many hardships in their life. They are, they are, or they may be going to face many hardships in life. So you never know what a person is going, a person is going through. And um, like I, like I have said before, that there are small acts of kindness which can help. Uh, and uh, pass through that age or period of uh, of a life, and you know, uh, it's a good good way to it's a good gesture to uh, towards other people towards your fellow beings. Like I have said, just you know, like a s small smile towards some towards your fellow beings is mm. a form of charity, 
and you know uh, being a muslim is, it doesn't matter you are muslim or non muslim yeah uh, everybody can give a you know small smile towards your fellow beings and uh, Right, yeah. as long as yeah, it's it's about humanity. Um, excellent, thank you very much um, for that, uh, and that brings us uh, towards the end of the show today. Uh, I must thank uh, our producer, Damien Achima, researchers Manab Rahman, Sara Ahmed, Amber Kamal, Amber Kamal, uh, my co-presenters uh, Imam Shahzeb Athar and Imam Daniel Ahmed. Um, uh, we will be back with um, another uh, with another episode of the breakfast show tomorrow morning. Um, myself, Daniel Zia, Imam Daniel Ahmed, and Imam Shahzeb Bata will be back next Monday. Um, one person I forgot to thank uh, is Mr. Thayer Ahmed uh, for the excellent support uh, from the tech side. Thank you very much for joining us today. We shall be back in a week's time. Until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states God Almighty has divided his wonderful universe into three categories. First, the world which is manifest and can be conceived through the eyes and the ears and other sensory organs, directly or indirectly, with the help of instruments. Secondly, the world which is hidden and which can be understood through deductive reasoning and hypothesizing. Thirdly, the world which lies even farther than the hidden world, so hard to conceive and almost beyond the reach of imagination. Very few are those who are aware of its existence. That is an entirely obscure world which cannot be conceived through deduction, but is only imagined. One can have access to it only with the help of spiritual vision or revelation or word from God and not by any other means. As is evident from the unchanging will of God manifested in nature, one can safely deduce that as God has provided man with the apparatus to understand the first two categories of his creation mentioned above, similarly he must have provided man with the apparatus and instruments to conceive that world of his creation which is mentioned under the third category. And that apparatus, as we have already mentioned, comprises spiritual vision, revelation, and the word of God. This mode of communication can never be conceived to be inoperative or to have ceased altogether in any age. Nay, but those who fulfilled the prerequisite 
have always been gifted with this and will continue to be gifted with the same.